insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. We have been studying this most important subject of the second coming of Christ, the end of the age, the reality of his coming. We ended last session by looking at false predictions. We emphasized, we we determined that it is a direct violation of the instruction of Jesus to either fixate on timelines or to ignore the subject altogether. Something that different swaths of a church has done. You cannot pick and choose what you obey in the scriptures. You cannot choose what side of a truth you are going to camp on because you may be camping on the wrong side. You cannot choose what commandments you will obey because if you break one commandment, you are guilty of breaking all because the same God who gave commandment one is the same God who gave commandment 10. So to blatantly ignore commandment five, because you've kept one, two, three, four, and seven, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, is to disrespect the same God who gave all ten commandments. But the doctrines of devils tells us if you get 90 out of 100, that should be a distinction, not in the kingdom of God. That is why he gave himself for us, not to redeem us from some of our sins, but to redeem us from all iniquity and the consequence of all iniquity. Jesus gave us two instructions. Number one, do not establish timelines. Timelines belong unto God, and God does not share his glory. God does not share his glory with man. You can't touch his glory. If you touch his glory, you self-destruct. So leave to give unto God the things that are God's and give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Do not establish timelines. Be rather fixated on the details of his assignment for you. Be rather fixated on the major assignment of the church, which is, which is preaching the gospel to everything that breathes, baptizing nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, turning them from sinners into saints. That is our primary assignment on earth. Turning prostitutes to prophets, turning wife beaters to gentlemen, turning sinners into saints, into the righteous one, turning ordinary people into peculiar people, zealous for good works. But the church at large has done the exact opposite. Some of us have completely fixated on fixing times and establishing seasons. And we have failed every time. Others of us, because of this failure, have decided we will not even think about it. We will not even talk about it. I do not know which is worse. So we showed us last last week, the Anabaptist, the Baptist, and the Seventh-day Adventist. And today, I want us to look at more people who have attempted this fool's errand of predicting with any kind of accuracy, the time and the hour that Jesus will come. The Seventh-day Adventists believe he will come. The millennial reign will begin before the First World War is over. It would have been laughable if it wasn't so tragic because the First World War ended, the Second World ended, and I believe we are practically in Third World War right now. 
right now. The founder of the Calvary Chapel, a man that was greatly used by God to bring possibly millions to faith, published a book. He was a well-known Bible scholar, prophecy teacher. And he wrote somewhat accurately that the coming of the Lord is very, very close. He even said we do not know when that will be. He said we could wait a little longer. It could happen faster, it could happen easier. But then he made the same mistake that many make in teaching that the generation that sees the budding of the fig tree, which is symbolic of the reconstitution of the nation of Israel, will be the last generation. The problem is, how long is the generation? Some say it's 40 years. I have heard others say it is 100 years. But I must give Chuck Smith credit because he ends by saying we don't know for sure which year actually marks the beginning of the last generation. So that is safe, I think. I think that is safe. Not only is it safe, I think it's very smart. Others have not been as smart. Even the Catholic Church once predicted. The Catholic Church is the most possibly stable. I was born Catholic. I do not think the Catholic Church is actually Christianity. I don't think it's genuine Christianity, to be honest. But they are, you cannot accuse them of not being stable. Very stable in their doctrine. It takes them thousands of years, hundreds of years, to change any belief system, any of their dogmas or doctrines. But even the Catholic Church once taught at least some of them, that the children or the child that comes from the union of Martin Luther, the father of Protestantism, and his former non-wife, Catherine, Catherine Abora, that their offspring will be the Antichrist. And how many people, how many humans have been predicted to be the Antichrist? So it wasn't just the Catholic Church. It was also the family radio. It is the Latter-day Saints or Mormons led by Joseph Smith. It was the Lutheran Church. It was Mennonites predicting that Jesus would return on March 8, 1889. And then when that didn't happen, they revised it to 1891. The Montanist movement that began... In 156 AD, pre predicted that Jesus will return during the lifetime of the group's founding members. Obviously, that did not happen. The Presbyterian Church did not miss out on the action. They predicted that between 1650 and 1695, we'll see the conversion of many Jews, a revival of the nation in Palestine, the destruction of the Catholic papacy, the marriage of a lamb and his wife. Christopher Love predicted that Babylon will fall in 1758 and that God's anger against the wicked will be demonstrated in 1759 and a worldwide earthquake will occur in 1763. The Tower Society, Jehovah's Witnesses, also had their own time, failed timelines up until this modern time. People have predicted and they have been wrong after failure, after failure, after failure. And so many have decided to stop talking about it, 
to stop thinking about it in order to avoid being wrong, the risk. They want to avoid the risk of being wrong, so they're now going to directly violate the teachings of Christ. In my short life on earth, few years, over five decades, I have realized that balance in life is ever so important a possession to have. Balance. Not too far to the right. Not too far to the left. Just middle of the road. Because far to the right will be a ditch. Far to the left will be a ditch. And right in the middle of the road is the safest place to be. But for some reason, humans have difficulty being balanced. This, this is because by virtue of the way we are designed, our focus always creates blind spots or blurred out images. God intends for us to have our heads in the clouds, but he wants our feet on the ground. He wants us heavenly minded, but he wants us to be earthly grounded. For some reason, most Christians are either heavenly minded or earthly grounded. He wants us to do both. Look at John chapter 3 verse 13. Let me just show it to you. John chapter 3 verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Let me read it one more time. And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So the Son of Man came down from heaven, but he didn't leave heaven to be on earth. He came down from heaven, Feet planted on the earth, but remained in heaven. What has happened to the church? We used to believe in holiness, for example. We used to believe in soul winning. We used to believe in spiritual fruitfulness. We used to believe in the fruit of his spirit. But then we didn't believe in financial prosperity or material prosperity of any kind. We interpreted any kind of physical financial prosperity as being of the devil. And then God began to show us that you can prosper by righteousness. God began to show us the example of Abraham, who in chapter 13 of Genesis was extremely wealthy in cattle, in silver and gold. He began to show us the example of Job, who was the wealthiest man, the most highly respected man in the, in the East, who went through nine months of hell, but at the end of nine months of hell was restored and God gave him double of what he had. He began to show us Joseph and Isaac and Jacob, he began to show us that Jesus had wealthy partners, wealthy followers. James, for example, says to us, tell those who are rich in your church not to be high-minded or to trust in uncertain riches, but to keep their faith and their trust in God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. The Apostle Paul says, I know how it is to have more than enough, but I have not forgotten how it is to have nothing. And so we began to embrace physical financial prosperity, and we went crazy. And suddenly everything we talk about now is about money. All measure of success is about money. God wants our heads in the cloud. He wants our feet firmly planted on earth. The Son of Man came down from heaven, and he remained in heaven while he came down to the earth. It's the duality of our existence. That balance, we need to fight for it.
We need to maintain it. If our lives must be meaningful, if our lives must achieve the purpose of God, we cannot abandon one truth in favor of another truth. We cannot, like I said earlier, obey one commandment to the exclusion of another commandment. He that says thou shalt not kill, the same said thou shalt not steal, the same said thou shalt not commit adultery, the same said thou shalt observe, honor your father and your mother that I may be well with you. The same said thou shalt not covet your neighbor's goods or your neighbor's wives. To disobey one is to disobey all. That is why I found what Martin Luther said so profound. He said, even if I knew that tomorrow the world will go to pieces, I will still plant my apple tree today. But most of us, if we know the world will come to pieces tomorrow, we'll never plant a tree today. In the mind of God, there's no contradiction there at all. There's no contradiction there. Live your life in such a way that even if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, you have to change nothing. That is a successful life. You know, the world measures success by accolades and titles and, and, and bank sheets, bank statements and balance sheets and asset declaration. We determine success by relevance to heavenly agenda. We determine success by the, by, the, by the relevance and consistency with kingdom values. The life that is really successful is a life that does not have to radically change anything, even if Jesus were to tell them, I'm coming tomorrow. If I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, Martin Luther said, I will still plant my apple tree today. This is why God did not bless us only for what we need for life or godliness. He blessed us with everything we would need for life and godliness. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these exceeding great and precious promises you might become a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world through lust. You escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, even though you are in the world. But you are not of the world. And the only reason you are able to do that is because you latch on and you work out this magnificent, fantastical, critical promises that God has made. So you can live like God, even though you are in the flesh as a man. And your humanity is real, as well as the divinely divine connection of your spirit to divinity. There's no contradiction there. Our Savior, the pattern son, was 100% God and 100% man. He wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God and 100% man. The mathematics of God is very different from the mathematics of the world. In the world system, when you get married, you bring 50% each. In God's economy, you bring 100% each. 100% plus 100% equals 100%. 
50% times 50% equals 0.25-25%. That's how God's economy works. He wants us to be blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. He has given us everything we need for life, everything we need for godliness. So godliness is not a, a, a predictor of worldly failure. We don't pursue earthly success and material well-being the way those who have no hope. You see, they have no hope beyond this scope. So they would lie, they will cheat, they will hurt people, they will hurt innocent people. They will kill babies in the womb. They will, they will impoverish entire nations, entire tribes, entire municipalities, entire provinces, entire cities. They would impoverish entire nations just to buy another mansion somewhere else, just to buy a private jet because they have no hope. They have no mansions waiting from, for them when they live here. They will have no place in the cities that whose streets are paved with gold and whose gates are one single pearl. They will have no part in that city, the heavenly Jerusalem where nothing dies, where the beaches are made from gold dust and diamonds and, and burial and Tanzanites. They will have no part. They have nothing to live for. All they have to live for is houses and cars and private jets and cash and, and alcohol and the attention of the opposite sex. God has given us success in this life and success in the world to come. They must not be antithetical. They must not be contradictory to each other. Jesus wants us to be fixated on his coming. In fact, I think Jesus hinted us, as much as Apostle Peter hinted us, that his coming may be delayed. In fact, his coming will be delayed. Let me show you that in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, I'm going to read a very long scripture to show that he knew and he gave us a hint that, hey, even though I want you living as though I'm coming tomorrow, it will take a while. There will be delay. In the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25 verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lambs and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps, but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels and oil in their lamps. Verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, tarried, while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Some translation says, when the bridegroom was a long was gone a long time. They all became drowsy and slept. The Bible in basic English said, when the husband was a long time in coming. The Berean study Bible says, when the bridegroom was delayed. The contemporary English version says, the groom was late arriving. Easy to read version says, when the bridegroom was very late. He made it clear. Another one says, when the bridegroom lingered. How many, how many transitions do you want? Jesus made it clear. I want you watching out. 
I want you living as though I was coming tomorrow. But it's going to be a while. Once again, in the mind of divinity, that is not a contradiction. If he comes tonight, I'll be waiting. If he delays till tomorrow morning, I'll still be waiting. I will be like the early church. Maranatha is my song. Maranatha is my declaration. Maranatha is my obsession. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let's read. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be enough for us and for you. Go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I don't know you. Watch therefore. I want to reemphasize verse 13, Matthew 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. Yes, be fixated on the coming, but you don't know the date. And that's the whole point. If you live in a high crime area, you can't prepare for the coming of the criminal when they start knocking on your door. If you do, it's too late. You'll have security measures in place long before they come. And you may have to wait for 10 years or 10 months before they come. But if you live perpetually in waiting when they do come, they will meet the barrel of your gun or some kind of security measure to foil the attempt to invade and to break in into your house. This is how we're supposed to live as far as the coming of Christ is concerned. Look at 2 Peter 3.3 3 and Jude verse 1 and 18. 2 Peter 3.3 3 and Jude one eighteen. Second 2 Peter 3.3 3 and Jude 1.18. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days coffers, mockers, walking according to their own lusts. Very interesting. Knowing first, there will be mockers, scoffers, and they will be living according to their own lusts, ruled by their evil desires in their flesh, following after their evil desires, walking according to their lusts. They will live according to their own sinful and selfish desires. It seems to me you cannot be fixated on the coming of Christ and not break the power of your sinful desires. It seems to me that once the coming of the Lord is not center focus for you, the motivation and the ability to break out of the veil of the flesh is severely compromised. You will see it again in the book of Jude. Knowing First knowing this, 
that they will come in the last days, scoffers walking according to their own lusts, and saying, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this is hidden from them by their willing it, that the heavens of old and the earth out of the water and through water being held together by the word of God. They will come, especially in the last days, asking, why has he not come? In spite of all these people we already spoke about who predicted and wrote out time and prepared and were convincing and convinced and believed that they were right. And even when they were proven wrong, they still could not repent. They doubled down on their foolishness. There's reason to believe that, but just not sufficient. The cure is to simply follow the words of Jesus. You know, I have discovered that most Christians And I dare say, most preachers do not read the Bible devotionally enough. Many preachers read the Bible as a textbook for their job description. They read it to obtain sermons, to preach. They don't read it as God's word to them. And if you listen to them talk in private, you can tell. Because they reason like just normal people. The scriptures have not enslaved their conscience. They haven't been, quote, brainwashed by scriptures. The scriptures are meant to brainwash us. And I say brainwash in quotes. Romans 12. Be renewed in your mind. Ephesians 4. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let the scriptures have such a stronghold in your mind that you follow scriptures by rote. You follow scriptures like a robot. You follow scriptures as an autopilot. It's like an autopilot of scripture. It says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly to the point that your subconscious mind is reprogrammed like a sponge that has been soaked in water. When life squeezes you, what oozes out of you is scriptures. That's what happened to Jesus. If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. The scriptures came out. Now man shall not live by bread alone. Bow down and worship me. Get behind me, Satan. Get lost. For you worship only God. He was, he was the word of God, by the way. But as a human, his mind was completely landscaped and renovated by scriptures. Your life must be the same. Now look at what Jude said in Jude 118. And look at the eerie similarity to what Peter said. Jude 118. This is an indication why Jesus said, Whether I'm coming today or tomorrow is not a matter. What is your what, what should be your concern is the imminency of my return. Is the fact that it's coming soon. How soon? Not important, but it's coming soon. Verse 17, let's start from verse 17 of Jude 1. But you, beloved, remember the words spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, because they told you that at the last time there will be mockers. According to their lusts, leading ungodly lives. Once you begin to mock scriptures and the revelation of God's kingdom, your lusts are empowered. 
Once you begin to think like the world, oh, where is it coming? So many, the fathers that preach the coming of Christ have all died and gone. You empower the lost in your flesh to conquer you. That which you are supposed to conquer now conquers you. That which you are supposed to walk over now begins to walk over you. God forbid. Hallelujah. I may you not focus on what God does not focus on. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to Focus on Freedom Podcast. For more information, please visit alujorgeministries.global or send a WhatsApp inquiry to plus 2781-300-6633. Also, like, subscribe and share our content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. See you next time. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.